Bob Scott DeKechi. Welcome to TCSJ Talks with one of my favorite people, TCSJ instructor, now project coordinator, Katie Burns. So Katie, how long have you worked at TCSJ and how long have you been in your current position? So I came uh, full-time to TCSJ in 2016. Prior to that, I was an adjunct faculty member, so I uh, had the opportunity to teach in the master's program here. But I came on board full-time in 2016. And during that time, I've had probably about four different jobs um, here at the college. And I have been really lucky with that because it's provided me a lot of opportunities to learn and grow my experience. And I like, I like to have lots of new opportunities, so it's been good. On my current job, I am the coordinator of master's programs, mm -hmm. as well as research and evaluation for the college. All right. So tell me and tell our audience, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? So my biggest failure was really prior to entering the field of education. Prior to becoming a teacher many years ago, I was in the insurance industry. That's what I oh. did after college right. and stayed there quite a number of years and was always looking at the next opportunity, like, what can I do next? Where, you know, what kind of promotions are available? What other jobs are available? And uh, there was this one position, um, I'll call it like an account executive, although they have different titles at different insurance companies, but it's a customer service kind of um, position. And I really aspired to do that because it looked very glamorous. Mm -hmm. uh, you would be working um, directly with one of these Fortune 500 companies. It involved tons of travel, you know, going to New York, going to Chicago, going to Atlanta. And I thought that would be just the most amazing job ever. Right. So I did finally, at one point, I got to be in that job and uh, learned <laughs> fairly quickly that it was not glamorous at all. Uh -huh. um, while I enjoyed working with the clients right. and going to their you know, home offices and talking to CFOs and vice presidents and um, all these really important people, um, that was pretty cool and exciting. Um, but the travel part was very difficult. And I traveled probably about four days a week on average. Oh. Uh, lots of time stuck in airports. Right. Uh, lost luggage, adapting to the different time zones. Mm -hmm. There were days I would wake up on a business trip and literally like couldn't even remember where I was, what city <laughs> I was in. I, I, I can believe it. Just knowing I had to, you know, either, you know, catch a cab or, you know, go to the building right. where I needed to go uh -huh. to. So all this idea about traveling and seeing the world, um, it was really just airports, cabs, rental cars, you know, looking at the map, getting to where mm -hmm. I had to be. Uh, so it was not glamorous. And the other thing I found with that is that because I was traveling so much, I really worked probably seven days a week and many, many hours and missed my family and friends. Right. And it caused me to just do, uh, you know, like a reality check. Right. Um, like what's really important here? Mm -hmm. And constantly having to say to my family and friends, oh, no, I can't come visit mm -hmm. you. I can't, you know, come over for dinner. I have to work. I realized that I needed to make a huge shift in what I was doing for right. a living. And so there was just this one day I had an epiphany. I was in Las Vegas returning uh -huh. a rental car and realized, like, I'm just done. I'm, I'm done. And instantly made that decision, like, I'm, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do something else. And that's really 
one of the first steps that brought me into the field of education. And that's a good thing. That really is. So what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? One of the things probably that's most important is remembering that we're never going to have all of the answers. We always say educators are lifelong learners, and I, I truly embrace that. I know even you know where I am now I'm in the job that I'm in, although I'm outside of a classroom, I'm still constantly learning. I will never have all of the answers. So being open to knowing that there's a lot to learn, um, being comfortable with not having all of the answers, knowing that you know, you'll keep taking classes and you'll keep reading and you'll keep trying new things. You're going to just continue to learn, whether it's, you know, in a formal environment, in a class or a workshop, or even learning from your students. Um, that's really one of the most important things. And then the other thing I would add to that is flexibility. My personality type, I like structure <laughs> and, you know, a to-do right. list. And I learned, again, very quickly in education that that just doesn't happen. Right. Um, it's nice, of course, to have that as a goal. <laughs> but every day I had to be flexible. Mm -hmm. And I always give the example from, um, of picture day um, mm -hmm. at school, which was always really difficult because yes. you couldn't predict the schedule. The kids are excited. <laughs> they want to know when it's going to be their turn right. to go stand in line for the camera. Um, you know, they're comparing their outfits and their hairstyles, and uh, it's just a crazy day. It so, is. Uh, trying to keep learning going, you know, right. with all of that. Mm -hmm. yeah, Got to be flexible. And you taught middle school, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I remember, that's all I hear for, for middle school kids. Why do, can't we go first? Because <laughs> right. we got PE and we're going to look horrible after taking our picture. And right. can we go? And I'm like, no, you got to let the <laughs> little ones go first. It's all about the picture. Who has been your biggest supporter and what do they do to help you? So in the field of education, I, I think my biggest supporter is Dr. Sylvia Turner, mm -hmm. who was our Director of Graduate Studies and Research here at the college for many years. And she retired a couple of years ago, but she was one of the first people that I worked with. Um, you know, she was doing some professional development at our school, so that's where I first met her. And then I met her as uh, one of the instructors here at Teachers College when I was taking classes. But she instilled this sense of, of innovation and taking risks and the sky's the limit she really encouraged us to you know try anything mm -hmm. just try it um and if it doesn't go well at least you're going to learn from it and you can move on but she uh instilled this sense of you know you can do anything she always believed in us um she still does when i talk with her mm -hmm. very encouraging um just a great coach and a cheerleader and she was actually the first person who told me that I should consider applying to work yeah. at Teachers College, which I would have never imagined. Mm -hmm. um, but just her validation in saying that right. allowed me to see something in myself that I would have never seen. Well, she saw the potential in you. Because believe me, a lot of people rave and talk about you. Like I told you before our conversation that's being recorded, my daughter actually wanted to take a class with you for her master's program. So mm -hmm. she's enrolled and she's happy about it. Okay. What's your favorite memory in education? My favorite memory is going back to my eighth grade classroom uh, where I had a student 
who um, introduced herself to me. I think it was the first day of school. Uh, and it was concerning the way she introduced herself to me because she described herself as the dumb one. Mm -hmm. um, she was um, from a large family, had many siblings who I had taught all mm -hmm. of them. Oh, wow. And uh, so I knew of the family mm -hmm. and um, uh, I have good memories of working with their family um, at our school. But anyway, she introduced herself as uh, not being very smart and it broke my heart. I just oh, thought nice. to have a student walking around feeling kind of that shame, it was upsetting. But as it turned out during that school year, uh, I was implementing this routine of goal setting mm -hmm. among my students. I figured they have all these tests they have to take all the time. And do they really even know what all these scores mean? So we kind of channeled that energy and we um, had this routine where I would have them study their data. They graphed it. They set goals for themselves. Um, they reflected on what they could do to do, you know, improve their learning. Uh, it, was, it was really cool. And as the year progressed, I noticed this particular student, her scores in math, especially were going up and up and up. Mm -hmm. um, and one day I noticed she had um, done an assignment, or I think it was one of the assessments. Anyway, her score had gone up like a huge number of like 20 mm -hmm. points or something. Mm -hmm. It was huge. So I asked her, you know, can I tell the class that your score went way up? I won't tell them what your score was, but I'll tell them how many points you climbed. And she said, sure. So I did, told the class, you know, her mm -hmm. score had gone up. Um, I was really proud of her. The rest of the students applauded wow. and cheered. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was legit. It wasn't like sarcastic eighth grade, you know. Right. <laughs> I was like, uh -huh. it was legit. And she was she was really proud. It was it was nice to see the expression on her face. Mm -hmm. It was nice to see her continue to do well right. as we finished the school year and knowing that she was going to go to high school and, you know, be in a good place. Mm -hmm. And then later the, um, the following year, um, I learned that she um, was in the IB program mm -hmm. at Franklin high school. Okay. And so that was super exciting right. to know that, you know, she had been so successful. Right. And I find that, so true when a teacher tells a student i'm proud of you you did great it works wonders mm -hmm. it really does it changes their whole outlook on school and they actually remember that mm -hmm. and she probably will remember if she ever runs into you and says you were you were the one miss burns that told me and they no they do <laughs> they do i'm sure they do i just i think you know i hate <clears throat> the labels and mm -hmm. however it was that that label how she, I don't know if someone told her that or if she fought it in her head to give mm -hmm. herself that label. I don't know how it became, but it just reminded me of the power of, of words right. and especially with our students. Like we need to really be positive with them and mm -hmm. celebrate what, you know, their strengths are. Mm -hmm. What are you proudest of? So when I think about what I'm most proud of it's probably the fact that i made it through the first year of teaching <laughs> so going back to my very sudden career change i had never taught a day in my life in a real classroom and got hired at a school um had this visual you know um, of what a classroom should be from commercials or tv shows where students are just sitting there with their hands mm -hmm. folded ready to learn mm -hmm. Uh, and of course, I realized very soon that's not how it works. Um, and I just wasn't equipped at that time 
with the skills or knowledge to be mm-hmm. a good teacher. And it was a rough year. I struggled with pedagogy. I struggled with classroom management. The content, I think I was okay with. And mostly I struggled with that idea about building positive working relationships with students and really understanding the power of that. So uh, I was surprised I got through to the second year. I I was surprised they brought me back. I'm grateful that I was brought back. I learned so much from my mistakes that first year that my second year went much more smoothly. And I'm also thankful for my support supervisor from Teachers College. Uh, Her name is Lori Misaki. And uh, she provided me with a lot of great support that first year. Uh, you know, there were days that I would cry on my way home from school thinking, I can't go back to that place. Mm-hmm. I developed this mantra of, you know, every day is going to be a new day so that I could find the energy to go back. Right. And and don't, you know, like the next day I would go back, the prior day maybe being horrible, mm-hmm. but the next day is great. Everything's wonderful. So you can't really predict how everything goes. Oh, Oh, that's okay. true. So, yeah, that was, it was a tough year. And I, yeah. And believe me, we will talk about in future episodes about the support people from Teachers College and how they do develop and help teachers and educators. Yes. So what positive movements do you see in education? So from my perspective here at <clears throat> Teachers College, uh, where I get to either be directly involved in some of our programs, whether it's you know through the ones I manage, or I get to teach a class every once in a while, um, or just through um, conversations with my colleagues, one of the things I'm finding, especially in the past couple of years, is this kind of renewed sense of urgency among our candidates, whether they're earning a credential or earning a master's degree. The sense of urgency about making sure that the learning environment is inclusive, that students are appreciated, that the relationships are there, that teachers are doing what is needed to support all students in their learning. Um, not just you know that scripted step one, step two, step three, mm-hmm. memorized, right. but really being more innovative, um, more student-centered. I just see this, um, increase I, I don't know the right word for it but mm-hmm. i find that the candidates that are coming through in the in the last couple of years are just um again that's i just feel that sense of urgency and that it's a priority for them mm-hmm. um and that they want to make it work and they want school to be a positive experience for their students so i'm excited about that yeah that's a, that that's a great thing to hear i mean a really good thing to hear what are what teaching methods do you feel should be completely abolished? Well, number one, I would say our worksheets. <laughs> uh, worksheets and scripted curriculum. I think back to my early days of teaching, you know, the, the file cabinets on campuses where there were folders, you know, day one has these four worksheets and, you know, they'd all be photocopied and ready for the next year that emphasis and more of the process of teaching rather than the learning and our students really learning from these worksheets. I like seeing an environment and I worked very hard as a classroom teacher to build that capacity in my own teaching um, and student learning where students have the opportunity to talk, to ask questions of one another, to build and explore and test and, um, you know, like test something they mm-hmm. built. 
I find that that learning is so much more engaging and relevant to them, especially when students have some element of choice. I think the classroom is a much happier place. I think the students are engaged and I, I just I think they learn so much more through those experiences as opposed to filling out a worksheet or a packet. Right. No, and I and I completely agree. I know several teachers, they create these huge packets. And then you find out the worst part is you find out the the teacher doesn't even grade half of them. <laughs> we could talk about that probably for another 20 minutes. So what do you enjoy most about your job? So in my current job, I have two main roles. One is doing some of the evaluation of the college, our internal evaluation of our programs. We are all about continuous improvement. Our accrediting agency, WASC, Mm -hmm. wants to see that, but also because of our reflective nature um, in in our mission, we always want to do better. So uh, I do a lot with data gathering, crunching numbers, spreadsheets, all that kind of geeky stuff that... Mm -hmm. I really have fun doing. Um, I enjoy that part of my job very much. But then it's really nice because I also kind of the other half of my job is managing a couple of our master's degree programs in STEM and environmental literacy. And I also get to work with our MIA program. And doing that puts me in a place where I get to work with students. I get to work with faculty. I get to see what's going on in the courses that we teach here. And that is really, really exciting. Um, For me, it's kind of the best of both worlds. I get to do two things that I really love, and uh, I feel really lucky about that. That's great. What's the biggest biggest challenge you've faced in your education or your career? Really, I think just going back to that first year, trying to navigate teaching, it was, again, it it was a huge challenge. And... I said earlier that I'm, you know, I was amazed that they brought me back for a second year of teaching, but I'm also proud of myself that I have the will um, to return that second year and get to do things much better than the year before. So that, that first year really made a huge impression on me. The other thing too, that was hard was just navigating kind of the system. You know, how do you order supplies at a school? How do you know, like, who to talk to to get help um, with right. moving desks mm-hmm. or uh, just, you know, how things kind of run behind the scenes. Right. Um, that was also a huge learning curve for me. It, it, it was a lot of learning. Right. The culture <laughs> of the school, if you move, because all the schools have different cultures and yes. you have to find that out. Yes. Oh, yes. I have a story about, um, you know, mm-hmm. being kind of naive and asking a colleague, mm-hmm who I think was having a bad day. Right. How do I get pencils in my classroom? Mm-hmm. And I remember she rolled her eyes and said, good luck with that. <laughs> so I literally thought, oh, I have to buy all my own. I didn't think to ask anyone else. Right. I started buying all my own supplies, okay. uh-huh. paper, pencil, you know, all the teacher stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a good six months before I realized our school had this huge supply room where you could get pretty much anything. I think you needed. needed, Yes, I just Mm -hmm. didn't know how to ask. Right. I. I'm sure you're not the only person that's gone through (laughs) it because I went through that. So someone said, "Oh no, you don't have to buy your own pencil sharpener, electric. We have one there." Where do you think San Joaquin County is heading in education? So, uh, one of the things that I 
work with most just in my day-to-day role is uh, I think about the environmental literacy component. I mm-hmm. think San Joaquin County has a lot of innovation and really cool things that are going on. But what I see on a day-to-day basis is the work that's being done in the field of environmental literacy. The environmental literacy concepts are now part of the K-12 content framework in our state. And so it's a matter of us supporting schools and districts in implementing that, um, helping teachers um, be prepared so they mm-hmm. can incorporate um, the environment into their you know, daily classroom practice. So I see a lot of really cool things happening in that space, whether it's the master's degree at Teachers College or a lot of the work that's being done in the SJCOE STEM department and furthering this idea that we want to help students get outside, learn what's going on in their mm-hmm. neighborhoods and their backyards and their communities, and thinking about natural resources. Uh, there's a lot of great learning opportunities there that are relevant, um, whether it's something really cool that's going on or something maybe that the problem that needs to be solved. So I like seeing that. That's cool. What do you see is the greatest challenge for this county in education? So aside from all of the challenges that have been brought forth because of the pandemic and navigating all of that, right? um, Mm -hmm. That's been a huge undertaking to support schools and teachers and students and families and stay within, you know, the advice of the experts and the public right. health. So that's been a huge impact on, I think, all of us over mm-hmm. the past many, many months. I think what I notice right now is the teacher shortage. And right. how do we address the teacher shortage and get qualified teachers into classrooms so that all students have opportunities for a wonderful education? Right. Um, you know, if they don't have a regular teacher pretty hard. And so I think that presents a huge equity issue in our county. And I, in a perfect world, would like to see that we just, we have as many teachers as we really need. Yes, I agree. Because uh, we're even having issues now with just finding substitutes mm-hmm. to come in when teachers get sick, they, they can't take a day off and because of personal emergencies. And so administration has to fill in and that takes away from their time and so what are strategies you suggest to a prospective educator finding other educators to either observe or talk with i think that the most successful educators are collaborative in nature and build relationships among colleagues and i think you can learn a lot by talking to practicing teachers about um, you know what they love about their jobs, suggestions for what to learn. And so uh, that would be one area that I would look at. And I think it then it just gets back to being a lifelong learner, uh, knowing that once you earn your credential, that's not the end of the line. There will be ongoing professional development. Um, of course, many people go on to earn master's degrees and beyond uh, and just embracing that culture of you know ongoing learning is so important. Oh yeah, I, I agree because I remember you saying that, and like I said in our before our recorded conversation, you always joked and said once you get the TCSJ, they they get you back in again. <laughs> and like my first podcast, when I heard talking to Diane, she talked about data science. I said, oh, wonderful. I'll be back for that, too, after finishing the MIA. 
you have a favorite quote? <laughs> I mean, some people don't, don't have one. I have a favorite quote. Yeah. I would just go back to seriously, every day is a new day and a clean slate. And I know you just learn from what you learned the day before and move on. What is the number one takeaway you want listeners to remember? I would want listeners to remember what a really special place Teachers College is. Mm -hmm. uh, I came here as a student in 2006 and they've never let me go. You know, <laughs> we keep coming back either for more classes or programs or end up working here. I love the culture at Teachers College mm -hmm. where we know people's names, we know their faces, we know many times their stories, you know, what's going on. Um, those personal relationships are so important. And especially in some of the work that I do now um, with our accreditation and evaluation, I get to talk with representatives from other colleges, which are all usually much mm -hmm. bigger colleges and universities. Right. I always say we're small, but we're mighty. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really uh, get that sense of what sets us apart mm -hmm. is that relationship piece and knowing everyone's names. Um, and just uh, to compare with a larger university, you might say to someone, oh, go talk to the admissions department or go talk to the graduate studies department. But really here, it's more like, go talk to Stephanie or, you know, go talk to Karen or Chris mm -hmm. or to Michelle. And I love that about us, that we know our people, we mm -hmm. build those relationships. It's a lot like a family feeling, really. Right. And I just don't think you see that in other colleges. Right. So we're pretty unique. And I do think that whole relationship building that the instructors, the administration here, does with the students it carries over to teaching because i think that's like you pointed out one of the strongest attributes of a teacher deal with almost any type of student if you can build that relationship with them because once you build that relationship they trust you you could be a little harder on them and they'll be like yeah he's right or yeah she's right i do mess up i need to stop this yeah, the trust mm -hmm. And it's very important for because a lot of these students don't get that at home. They don't get it outside with their friends. And then they have that teacher that comes back. I think you bring up a good point, too. The relationship piece isn't just being nice or giving compliments. Mm -hmm. It's being truthful mm -hmm. and creating that safe space where you can give constructive feedback because you care and you want the student right. to do their best rather than just patting them on the back and saying, oh, thank you for trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, it's true. Having those high expectations. Uh -huh. I think a lot of it is that I learned from all the different instructors, and you see the relationship they build, and people remember other instructors. Yes. I mean, I remember you. There's other ones that I could just embarrass them, like Ansuela Garcia, <laughs> Andy Dong. You know, it just goes on and on, yes. and you remember these people. What is the best way to contact you to discuss any ideas that have been discussed, any topics that have been discussed on this podcast, like the, like the environmental literacy? Who does one contact? I think probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is through email. Okay. Um, and so my address is kburns at teacherscollegesj.edu. All right. And also you can go to our website. We've got all of our contact information on there. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Come back to TCSJ Talks with me, Scott Takechi.